So I think I probably am speaking for most of us anyway, maybe, maybe even all of us. Um, this is a great time of year. Christmas time is just, um, you know, it's just such, such a great time. From the time you're a little kid, and you know, of course, the emphasis when you're a little kid is all those presents that are under the tree, and you can hardly wait for December 25th, or some people get to do the Christmas Eve thing. You know, you can hardly wait to get to those presents. I know that my grandkids, that's kind of where they are at this stage in their lives. They're super excited about the presents. But even as you, you get older and the, the excitement about the presents sort of wears off, you know, there's another presence that you're excited about. And generally speaking, that's for the presence of family, people that you love, uh, people that you maybe don't get to see that often, but it's during this season that we get to get, get to be together and, and spend time together. And, and that's always great. And, and then, of course, there's food. And who doesn't like food, right? And, and you know, there's tamales, which is, more specifically, uh, there are tamales. And um, I don't know what the tradition is, why um, Mexican people do tamales at Christmas, but whatever the tradition is, I'm really glad they have it uh, because I am the beneficiary quite often of those uh, tamales. And that's what I had for dinner last night, the tamales somebody gave us. So, um, and, and please, I'm not saying this because I need any more tamales. Um, first service, I had a bunch of people come up to me afterwards, we're making tamales, we'll drop some off. So I said, okay, great. But um, now I don't want to stop you if you, you know, feel inclined. I'm sure we can find something to do with them, but... Uh, but, you know, this is, this is just a great time of year, right? And it's great to be together as the people of God. And it's great to have the church decorated and the stage and just, you know, there's, there's just that certain atmosphere that comes at Christmas time. And I love that. And one of the other things I really love about Christmas time is the music in the air. It's, it's the fact that those carols are uh, being sung everywhere. Now, we've been listening to these uh, all of our lives. And, and I remember when I was a kid, you would hear these carols in the various uh, stores you got shopping in with your parents or, uh, you know, you would hear them in different places. Sometimes in school, we would have a Christmas play back in those days. You could do that and you could sing these songs. Um, but there came a point in my life where, and it was shortly after I had become a Christian, and I remember kind of like for the first time hearing the, the words and actually understanding the significance of them. And, and I'll never forget the one uh, Christmas song that I first had that discovery with, and that was, um, it was, it was the lyric that said, to free us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray, oh, tidings of comfort and joy. And I remember I was in a market somewhere, and I just heard that, and I'd just been a Christian a very short time, and I remember all of a sudden thinking, oh my gosh, they're, they're, that song's talking about the deliverance from Satan's power, and I had experienced that in my life, so it was so thrilling. And then from that point on, I, I just began to think more and pay uh, closer attention to the, the lyrical content 
of these Christmas songs and found them to be absolutely fascinating. So one of my favorite, I I have quite a few, but one of my favorite is um, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And, And I want to begin our service today by quoting from that uh, Christmas carol. It goes like this, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Those words are so powerful. This beautiful Christmas carol was written in 1868 by Phillips Brooks, the rector of Boston's Trinity Episcopal Church, and Isn't it amazing that this hymn still lives on today and is being sung in churches all around the world during this Christmas season? That is so amazing to me. But you might wonder, like, how is that the case? You know, how is it that these songs are are sort of timeless? They're, They're like those classic songs that just never get old. There have been attempts, and, you know, people have written more contemporary Christmas songs. And, and sometimes I wonder, like, wow, how come nobody can write a Christmas song these days that has the, just the, the, the depth and the rich riches of, of these songs? I don't even know what the answer is. But uh, at this point, I haven't heard anything that I thought, oh, my goodness, that, that is very similar you know, to one of these um, older uh, carols. But I think that these, these hymns that were written in the 18th and 19th century, many of them, I think the, the beauty of them and the power and the, um, the longevity of them, I think it has to do with this, that they are really just poetic paraphrases of the biblical accounts of the first Christmas, and of the promises of God in Scripture to send a Savior. That, that's what they are. They're, there's such rich biblical content in them. That's what I think gives them that longevity. Now, consider some of the lyrics more closely that we read just a moment ago. And and this is the one, I just love this. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. Think back to the first message we did in this series. Remember, we uh, looked at that great prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. 
uh, the, the prophecy of the child that is born, the son that is given. But maybe you remember when we read the scripture reading that morning, Isaiah chapter nine begins speaking about those who sit in the land of darkness and the shadow of death, upon them a great light has shone. And so you see right here, it's, it's really a reference back to that. But then it goes on and it says this. And, and of course, it's O little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was uh, the place that Micah the prophet declared that the Messiah would come from. But then this, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Wow, think about that. The hopes of all the years, everything that, that we could ever hope for as, as a people, everything that humanity could ever long for, everything that we could ever need, that night, those needs were all met. All of those fears that we live with, all of those fears were put to rest that night. And that's what's being communicated there. But then it goes on and it says, oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. Oh, that's so powerful. That's what the Savior came to do, right? To cast out our sin and to enter in. And these words, be born in us today. That's what happens when a person puts their faith in Jesus. They're born again. The Spirit of God comes and indwells them. And then just that last part there, that uh, last verse, we hear the Christmas angels, their great glad tidings tell, oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. And again, going back to the prophecies of Isaiah, remember that seventh chapter, the 14th verse is the prophecy of the virgin conceiving, bearing a son. And you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so, like I said, I think the secret to the, the ongoing attraction to these hymns and carols is the, the rich biblical content that is there. And the wellspring from which all this richness flows is found here in the verses that we read together, particularly verses 10 through 12. But let me read to us once again, verses 10 through 14. So, well, verse nine, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, speaking of the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace goodwill toward men. And so we want to just walk through uh, the words that were spoken to the shepherds by the angels on that wonderful day. And they begin with, of course, do not be afraid. 
But then, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. This is the gospel. We, we've talked about the gospel many times. We uh, use gospel to refer to, uh, of course, the message of, of the salvation that Jesus brings. Uh, but the gospel means, as we pointed out, it means the good news, so the good message. And so the angel says to the shepherds, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you good tidings. The, this is the best news that planet Earth has ever heard. This is the greatest news. And the news is so good that it, the response to it is great joy for those who for those who hear it and embrace it. Now, let's be honest, it's not easy to find good news these days. You know, sometimes you're really looking hard for some good news. I don't know if it's just uh, journalism today, everything's just negative and focused on the sensational. Uh, maybe it's that. Um, there's probably some good stories out there, but it just doesn't seem like they're reporting them that often. I actually was searching to find a, a story where maybe I could use it as an illustration, but I couldn't find one. Now, maybe it's because I was searching on Twitter, and Twitter is, uh, you know, it's a source for news, but it's generally a source for bad news, so uh, I failed there with my effort. But, you know, regardless of whether there's any current good news or anything happening right now that we would uh, hear about and say, oh my goodness, that is amazing. That is the best news. Regardless of whether that is going on, this news is still the good news today. You see, it wasn't just the good news for the people that heard it then. It's still the good news today. And we cannot forget that. And in the midst of all of the bad news that we so often find ourselves immersed in, we have to always go back and remember, wait a second, no, there's some good news. There's some really great news. There's some news that is so good that if I focus my attention on that, it is going to bring me joy. It's going to pull me out of the pit of despair that perhaps I've fallen into because of uh, the constant input of negative news. So good tidings of great joy. And the second thing is that it is to all people. Here's the wonderful thing about this message. It's for everyone. There's no one that's excluded. You know, human beings are good at exclusion. We just have a, a bent toward that in our nature. That we're always excluding somebody based on something. And so, you know, quite often it's... Um, well, it's, it's sometimes it's ethnicity, uh, sometimes it's your social standing, sometimes it's just, you know, people don't really like the way you dress, or, you know, it could be any number of things. But the, but the tendency of human beings is to segregate, it's to separate from each other, and to exclude certain people, and to think that, well, you know, we're the special people, we get the special treatment, and no, those people over there, uh, we, don't, we don't want them to be in on this at all. You know, God is not like that at all. 
God is the God of inclusion. He's including everyone. This message is for everyone. Every single person. There's no, as the Bible uses the, the term respecter of persons, it means that God doesn't show favoritism to anybody based on their race, based on their social standing, based on their economic position, based on their uh, the extent of their education, or all the things that we use to categorize people. God doesn't do any of that. And think about it, the group of people that the angel is speaking to are shepherds. And that is part of the message in and of itself, because you think of all the places the angel could have been sent, he was sent to a field and to shepherds, meaning he was sent to the common people. The shepherds were just the embodiment of common people. They were not the elites, they were not the cultural uh, trendsetters. They were not the politicians of the day. There were political people all around in those days. You could have easily found them, but that's not where the Lord sent the angel. Sent them to the shepherds because they represented the mass of humanity. And so it's good tidings of great joy. It's to all people. For there is born to you this day, a savior. Let's talk about that for a moment. There was, there was born to you. And you see, this is the thing. We've been talking about this leading up to today in these uh, various messages that we've been giving. We've been talking about this reality of the incarnation. And remember, the word incarnation means to become flesh. That's the meaning of it. But what we need to understand is that it wasn't that Jesus just appeared to be flesh. Now, actually, there was a, um, a false teaching in the early days of the church that taught that. They t- it taught that Jesus wasn't really flesh like us. He wasn't really flesh and blood. He appeared that way. He seemed to be that way. It was called, uh, known as docetism. And docetism taught that Well, he just seemed to be human, but he wasn't really human. But that's not what the scripture teaches. And and that's not what's being said here, because it says that the Savior is going to be born. Now, back in the Old Testament period, you can find examples of God appearing to people. And he appears in the form of a a human being. He, He appears in the form of a man. And those are called theophanies. A theophany is an appearance of God in a human form. And you can find that in the early chapters. You can find it in Genesis with uh, Adam and Eve. You can find it later in Genesis with uh, Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Uh, You can find the Lord appearing to Moses. Uh, The Lord appears to Joshua. Uh, The Lord appears to the parents of Samson later. All all the way through, you can find these places where the Lord appears. He appears in a human form, but he's not a human in the sense that we are. He has simply just fashioned a body for the purpose of appearing. And then once the mission is accomplished, he disappears. But you see, what happened here is different. Here, the Son of God was born 
he came miraculously by the Spirit into the womb of Mary and was fashioned as an embryo and then grew into a, a, a baby and then was birthed into the world. He was born. And, of course, that's what the prophecy said in Isaiah, as we've already referred to it. Remember, for unto us a child is born. And we looked at that in that first study. But then in the second in our series, we looked at that great passage in John chapter 1 that speaks to us of uh, the Word becoming flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God and verse 14, and the word became flesh. The word took upon himself humanity. God became one of us. And then in that message last week, as we looked at uh, that great passage in Philippians chapter 2, how Jesus, although he was by very nature God, he did not use his position to his own advantage, but he humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant, and he was found in fashion as a man. So you see, he was born. And the thing that we need to understand about Jesus is that it wasn't, when he came into the world, it wasn't that he left anything behind that he previously was. He was, he was still God. It's that he added something that he previously was not. So he is the God-man. And that, that is known in like theological language as the hypostatic union. And the hypostatic union means that there's, it's, a, it's two persons who are the one God. And this has been something that has been a marvel to me recently as I've just literally two days ago, finished a, a theology class I've been in for the past four months. And, um, but just having to dive down deep again into some of these things. And of course, under, knowing that, knowing what hypostatic union is, knowing that Jesus is both God and man, but having to dig down deep in it again, I, I just walked away really having my mind blown just at the fact that Jesus is a, he's, he's like us, he's one of us. God became one of us. And that's what the angel says, because notice what he says as he refers to this great event, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The Lord, that's, that's what we're talking about. When you find this term Lord, you're talking about the Lord, God. And that's how everybody would have understood this. This is how um, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it would be Yahweh. But when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, a couple hundred years before the birth of Jesus, every place that Yahweh appeared, they translated it into Greek with the word kurios, and that's the word here that they translate Lord. So, in other words, what the, what the shepherds would have understood is that this baby who's lying in a manger is the Lord. I was just 
thinking about this today because, you know, sometimes we just need to turn off everything else and think about this stuff. Think about it. The Lord. And what do we know about the Lord? Well, we know, according to Scripture, the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. So the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. The heavens, they tell us currently that the the diameter of the heavens is 93 billion light years. Who can even calculate that? 93 billion light years? And you know light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So the distance that light goes at 186,000 miles a second for a year, that's a light year. And we're talking about 93 billion. I don't even know how do you even count to 93 billion. But then you add 93 billion light years. And this is the Lord. This is the one who becomes one of us, not by just miraculously suddenly taking on a body like God did in the Old Testament, but by going into the womb, by going through the natural process and coming through the birth canal and coming into the world, kicking and screaming like every other baby does. Astounding. And that's what the angel said. Born to you. But I want you to notice this too. Born to you this day. Now, we don't know the exact date of the birth of Jesus. There's always been a debate as to whether December 25th is really the day Jesus was born. Some people say yes. Some people say no. We don't know. Nobody will ever answer that. But what I want us to see is when it refers to the day, born to you this day, what I want us to see is that these things happened in real time. They happened in history. And I say that because I don't know if you know this or not, but most of the religions of the world have no connection to real time. In other words, they're, they're more uh, a combination of mythology and philosophy and ethics and things like that. But, but there's no dates. There's no real time or place. Not, not all of them, but, but most of them. Uh, but this is one of the unique features of the Christian faith. We have dates. We have references, historical references. And what do we have here? Well, in chapter 2, verse 1, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Everybody knows who Caesar Augustus was. He was the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And his reign was from about 27 BC to about 14 AD. And so this happened in real time. So, you know, sometimes people say, oh, Christianity is just a bunch of mythology. These are just legends. But, you know, I, every time I hear somebody say that, I'm, I'm really suspicious as to whether or not they've even read the text. Because when you read the text, you, you know, in mythology, you don't generally have historical markers. You don't generally have references to people like the ruler of the known world, Caesar Augustus. 
So that's what we have here, though. So there is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, on this day, the Savior is born. The Savior. Jesus came to save. And he came to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. But he came to save us from ourselves as well. He came to save us from sin. And he came not just to save us personally. He did do that. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But he is also the Christ. And as the Christ, he basically comes to save all of creation. You see, the salvation of Jesus isn't only the salvation of of individual people, although it is that, and that's very important. But he's the savior of everything. And so that prophecy in Isaiah, remember it talks about how a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Counselor, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. What that's referring to is the fact that Jesus is going to rule the whole world. He's going to rule not just the world, not just planet Earth. He's going to rule the the universe. He already does in one sense, but there's a a revolt that's going on in in the universe. But he's going to put an end to all of that. That's what the Christ does. That's his mission is to bring all things back to what God intended them to be. And so that is what is happening as he is both the Savior and the Christ. But notice again that the message, the angel says it's um, for to you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. And I want to emphasize now this individual aspect of it. You know, it's interesting. Right now, I, I find this a lot. Um, we, we have like a, a conflicted narrative in our Western world. Um, we have the, the reality of uh, individualism and consumerism that's largely based on individualism. But then we also have this other thought about more of a collectivist kind of an idea that, you know, that that we're all corporately part of something and in some thinking it's the state and, you know, we're all part of the state and we got to contribute to the state and that the most important thing is the state. The individual doesn't matter so much, but it's but it's conflicted because it's it's kind of um I mean, at the same time, it's like speaking out of both sides of your mouth, as they sometimes say, because we hear this from the cultural elites. We hear all of this talk about, um, you know, we need to get involved in the greater good, but then we have this strong emphasis on individualism as well. Now, this, this kind of stuff bleeds over into the realm of the church. So in a lot of current writing in the church, I often come across um, those who want to de-emphasize the personal nature of the gospel or the individualistic aspect of it, 
and they want to emphasize more the collective part of it, that, you know, we're a body. Now, it's true. We are a body. But, but what tends to happen a lot of times is that people always want it to be one or the other rather than it's both. And you see, the biblical picture is that it is both. We are, yes, we're part of a collective thing. We're part of a corporate thing. We're part of a family. We are members of the body of Christ. And we do need to understand that. We need each other. We need to function together. We need to understand that. But not to the exclusion of the individual side of things, because if I don't have an individual encounter with Christ, I'm not part of the family. But oftentimes, it's sort of, you know, separating these two things and making it one or the other. No, it's not one or the other. It's both. And we cannot lose sight. We don't want to get into individualism in the sense that it's just all about me and it doesn't matter. I don't care about anybody else. It's just me and God and it's our thing. And we don't want to do that, obviously. But we cannot lose sight of the fact Just as the angel said, for there is born to you. It's almost like the angel could have just put his finger out to those little, (laughs) that little group of shepherds. There's born to you, you guys, believe it or not. Because some people would say, it's not for them. Who are they? They're nothing. They're nobody. No, but there's born for you this day in the city of David. And this is the thing about Christmas that we can't forget. This is God's gift to every single person. And the individual aspect of it is, in some ways, the most precious aspect because what it's telling you is that God loves you. He loves you. He loves other people too, but He loves you very specifically and personally. And this gift is for you, and it's intended to bring you into a relationship with him. And let me tell you, that message is so easily missed. That's really the essence of it, but it's so easily missed. I know that because I went to church on Sundays when I was younger, Growing up in the Catholic tradition, I remember going to many a midnight mass. But you know what? I didn't know. I didn't know that any of that stuff was for me personally. I didn't know that. I never heard the, the message that, that God loved me, that God had a plan for me, that Jesus was my Savior or could be my Savior. I didn't know that. And I did come to know it, thank God, at a certain point. But listen whether it's today or uh, at midnight on Tuesday or maybe on Wednesday, Christmas Day itself, millions of people will flock to churches and they will, in some sense, give some sort of respect or honor or something to the birth of Jesus, but they will not have had any personal experience of it for themselves. And thus, they miss the entire purpose of the coming of Christ into the world. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that because he came for you personally. 
so you can know him. And this is the good news of great joy that regardless of anything else that's happening around you, God loves you and you are in a relationship with him. And he's committed to you. And he's invited you in and he's given you all kinds of promises. And we can never forget that. And so as the angel says all of these things, and then the angel instructs them to go, this will be a sign, verse 12, to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And that was the message to them. They were to go, and the promise was what? You will find. The angel, what I'm telling you about, you will find them. And it was a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, but it was actually the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. And so listen, the same is true today. You will find the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, as you seek after him. That's God's promise. God has not hidden these things from us. He doesn't want to keep them from us. He wants us to discover them. He wants us to know them. You know, sometimes people talk about um, the mystery of Christ. And the Bible actually refers to the mystery of Christ. But some people talk about the mystery of Christ like it's a mystery that you can't really know fully. It's a mystery, and, and there's still many things hidden. But the New Testament word for mystery doesn't mean that. It means something that was previously hidden that is now revealed. So the mystery of Christ is that Christ is in us, and he is the hope of glory. That's the mystery. Paul tells us what the mystery is. So maybe you've had some idea that, yeah, you know, I know about Jesus, and there's some things, but all this, it's all just such a mystery. Well, let the mystery be cleared up today. You will find the Savior if you seek him. And that's the promise that God made. He said, you will seek me and find me if you search for me with all your heart. He said, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He said, as many as would receive him, to them he would give the power to become the children of God. And it's always a great day to talk about this, and it's always a great time to make an appeal. But I always think on, on, on Christmas or at Christmas time, as we're talking about this wonderful thing that God did, that is still as relevant today as it was that day, that, well, this is the day to receive that gift. This is the day to receive that gift. Now, I want to say one more thing before we close. This great news that came to them, these good tidings of great joy, you know, nothing really changed outwardly for them or for the people, the the immediate people for the time. Nothing, nothing really changed outwardly. There was still the difficulties of life. There were still the hardships. There was still the suffering. The Romans were still in power. And they still continued to oppress the people. So nothing changed outwardly, but everything changed inwardly. And because everything changed inwardly, the outlook 
on what was outwardly changed as well. So all that to say, when you receive Christ, it doesn't mean that the circumstances outside are necessarily going to change, at least immediately. We know ultimately they're all going to change. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. That's a song. We sing it at Christmas, but it's really a song about the second coming. But the first coming is the foundation stone for the second coming to take place. But it's singing about when that happens. Heaven and nature singing. Earth receiving her king. That's going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet. And your outward circumstances might not change real drastically, but here's the wonderful news. Your heart will be so filled with the good news, with the the good tidings that you will have within you great joy. You see, that's, that's the beautiful thing. Because we all know that even in ideal circumstances, you can have great outward circumstances, but still you can lack inward joy. You can still lack inward contentment. I was thinking about the, um, you know, how Jesus came and, and he healed people and he ministered to them, but he always went beyond their physical condition to the spiritual issue. Because, of course, Jesus knew that, you know, being able to, to walk, say, for example, when you hadn't been able to walk, like one person that he healed for 38 years, he wasn't able to walk. Jesus healed him. And there was, uh, there was a period of absolute elation. I mean, like, I can't believe, I can walk, I can walk. But, you know, how long does that last? And pretty soon you're like, well, I can walk. Yeah, everybody's walking and life is still a bummer. Now I got to walk somewhere. Nobody can carry me now because I'm now I got I got to do it myself. There's always like a downside, even though it might be a great thing for a moment. But just think if that was the end of it. And, you know, people today oftentimes say stuff like, well, you know, Jesus didn't take care of this problem or he hasn't dealt with that. And why is all this trouble in the world? And, you know, even if we had a perfect environment, we still have an inner void. And after a while, in the perfect environment, you're just sort of like, okay, we're in a perfect environment, but now I'm bored. And, what, you know, is there, is there something here uh, that is beyond this? Well, yes, this is the whole thing. This is beyond all of that. It's good tidings that bring great joy that are not dependent on outward circumstances, but they're related to the fact that you are now connected to your creator. You're in relation with your loving heavenly father. You're now a child of God whose future is bright. And so, as we close today, these are the good tidings of great joy that are for everybody. For unto you has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
He's your savior. That's the personal side of it. He's the Christ. That's the, that's the side of it where he will rule the world. He's the Lord. That's the side of it that makes it all amazing. Because your savior and the Messiah is none other than God, who created all things. And he created you and me for his good pleasure. And this act of coming into the world was the means of bringing us all into that place of experiencing the benefit of his coming. So Lord, we thank you for the great and amazing news. These good tidings that truly do bring great joy. And Lord, we thank you that these these promises are for everyone. Lord, that you love all people. And Lord, you haven't excluded a single person from coming and receiving your gift of life. Thank you that you are our Savior. And Lord, that you are the one who was specifically empowered to do this work and to bring in the kingdom of God. And Lord, we praise you today that you are indeed the Lord. You're the maker of heaven and earth. And Lord, you're the savior of each and every one of those who put their trust in you. So on this Christmas day, or this Christmas Sunday, Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a single person who has not, or there wouldn't be a single person who has not made that connection with you through personal faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.